welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto, and James Kazina. This podcast is an all-in-one devotional, essential for anyone trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in today's world. Each month, we'll release four different episodes, including stories from the field, preaching, and conversations with special guests. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. Here's today's episode. It was my second ever field trip with Open Doors. I found myself in the hills outside of Hong Kong meeting with believers and talking about how we were going to get the Bibles that we were planning on smuggling across the border into mainland China through customs. One of our team there talked about a previous time where he had a group of foreigners all ready to deliver Bibles to mainland China. And as they waited at the border crossing, they looked at each other and said, let's just pray silently that we could get these Bibles through. And he said, right there and then in front of them, the x-ray machines blew up and caught on fire. I mean, smoke, flames, everything. And he says, in that moment, the x-ray machines were no longer used and they were able to walk their Bibles through into China. And as we're sitting here with this believer, he looks at me and says, well, well, let's pray the same thing happens. I remember thinking to myself, this has got to be one of the strangest prayers I have ever made that the x-ray machines would blow up and catch on fire. But, you know, like a good, I guess, follower, I said, absolutely, let's pray for that. And so I'm sure I half-heartedly prayed a prayer that said, you know, Father, help us tomorrow as we try and take these Bibles across the border to get them through. And may the x-ray machines blow up and catch on fire. And surely enough, that night, we sort of finished up our prayer meeting and went to bed and, and got up the next morning, piled onto the bus to get ready to drive down to the border. And as we're about to leave the compound, the brother from the night before comes running out with a big smile on his face, waving a piece of paper. And he says, this is a news report from a local website. He says, last night at 8.30, the time we were praying, the x-ray machines at the Hong Kong border blew up and caught on fire. And today, many of them will be down and not in use. As we got down to the border, surely enough, there it is. There's scorch marks and yellow tape, all of these x-ray machines closed and not being used. And we're able to walk these Bibles into China. I mean, an incredible story, a story that in some ways defies belief or logic had I not been there, but was just an incredibly powerful reminder of God's sovereignty uh, and the mysterious ways in which God works. But now, having got these Bibles through, I found myself sitting with a 60, 70, maybe even 80-year-old man from the underground church. We were meeting in secret and he was speaking in broken English. And I was listening intently to him retelling childhood stories of the cost of faith in the midst of communism. How powerful and eerily haunting. As our time together drew to an end, I remember asking him, well, brother, what could I pray for? He replied, I want you to pray that persecution never leaves China. I remember I thought that was a somewhat strange request, so I asked him why, and he said, we look at the Australian church as a prophetic example of what happens when faith becomes free. He said, the value of Jesus drops. I want you to pray that persecution, it never leaves China. So I asked him, would you pray for me? And he simply said, I pray you'd be persecuted. Obedience and persecution, not mutually exclusive, undeniably linked. As Paul writes in 2 Timothy 3 and verse 12, yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But have you ever stopped to think about why people are persecuted? 
Every single instance of persecution in the Bible, whether it was directed at Jesus, his disciples, or his followers, was always and only ever linked to a public profession of faith or a public outworking of a life devoted to faith in Jesus. And now, more than 2,000 years later, nothing has changed. If the people we serve at Open Doors in more than 70 countries want persecution to stop, well, they need only stop sharing the gospel publicly, showing the gospel personally, or living out the gospel in community. They need only stop being obedient. A good friend of mine, Helen Bahane from Eritrea, spent two and a half years locked in a metal shipping container because she was unwilling to stop sharing her faith. Helen was crammed into a container in the middle of the Eritrean desert with more than 20 other people. It was so cramped that there was not enough room for everyone to sleep at once, so you had to take it in turns. And more than that, during the day, if you were the one who was unlucky enough to be on the outside of the group and your skin happened to touch up against the side of the metal container, it would literally burn to the side because it was so hot. And even today, Helen will often wear either a long sleeve shirt or a shawl over her neck and shoulders to cover the burns that lie in her arms. On other occasions, when she was caught singing gospel songs, the guard would strip her naked, force her to kneel on jagged rocks for hours at a time, holding heavy boulders, the weight of which forced her knees into the ground and caused immense pain. But if all that's not crazy enough, Christianity, well, it wasn't even illegal in her country, but sharing the gospel was Believe it or not, all Helen had to do to be released was sign a piece of paper saying she wouldn't share the gospel with others. I remember sitting with her and speaking about how difficult life in prison was when I asked what in hindsight can only be described as an insulting question that must have showed the lack of value Christ holds in my life. Because I said, Helen, if you could be a Christian at home, read, sing and pray, why wouldn't you have just signed the piece of paper? And without missing a beat, she looked straight through me and said, because Jesus Christ is the medicine of the world and he must be shared. Obedience. This is what the brother in China was wanting, that I would share Jesus visibly, vocally and valiantly, no matter the cost, because I've got a sneaking suspicion the divide between what we know as a persecuted church and the so-called free church is not so much more than one's obedience to evangelize no matter the culture or context? And could it be that if we're not experiencing persecution, it's because Jesus cannot be seen or heard in our lives? As a nation and many Western nations, over the last few decades, we've gone from being so-called Christian societies to non-Christian societies, and now we're fast heading into anti-Christian societies the impact of which will either push us into our shell as believers, where we continue to suppress public expressions of faith and increasingly mask them with generosity and good deeds, but without mentioning Jesus. If this trend continues, I believe that as a church corporately, and when I say church, I mean a collective group of believers, we are far more likely to end up in a place of spiritual and cultural insignificance than persecution. And personally, that is a far more terrifying thought. In a place of insignificance, I worry that some of the greatest persecutors of the modern church will sadly be Christian. As we lose biblical literacy, a true understanding of who Jesus is, well, we'll begin to infight, bicker, judge other churches, denominations, and even people within our own church and friendship groups. 
if persecution in so many ways is a earmark of successful, which I truly believe it is, Christianity, and I genuinely believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world, and the one true God, and more than that, that I'm his ambassador and representation on earth, then sadly, looking at my own life, to leave Jesus out of my language has to be one of the most insulting and disrespectful things I could ever do. As I wrestled with the whole notion of obedience and how visible Jesus was in my life, it reminded me of some advice I was given when I was in Egypt. I remember meeting with a brother who talked with me about evangelism, specifically in regards to how best evangelize a Muslim. He told me how in the West, we too often think evangelism is a one conversation kind of thing. The people in one conversation will turn from their sin, repent, and have almost like a sore-like to poor-like conversion. But this brother told me, no, no, evangelism is better viewed as there's a brick wall between you and the person you're trying to talk to about the gospel. He said every single brick in that wall represents a question. And as you spend time with the person and answer their questions, bricks come out. He said eventually the wall gets low enough that you can see the other person's eyes, but you still can't walk with them. He says more time, more questions, more answers, and, and more bricks come out. Eventually the wall gets low enough that you can kind of put your arms through and hug them, but you still can't walk with them. More time, more questions, more answers. He says eventually the wall gets low enough that you can kind of get a foot through and he says, and that is where the journey begins. Isn't that a beautiful picture of evangelism? I mean, whether it's evangelizing a Muslim or for that matter, anyone in our world who doesn't yet know Jesus, there is a metaphorical brick wall. Our job is to identify what it's made up of. For people in Western nations, it could be things like fear of change, mortality, income, comfort, all of those kind of things, marriage, children, family, and our job is to figure out what it is, what's that wall made up of, and ask questions into it. A great way that I've kind of tried to use this in, um, in practice is if I ever find myself in a taxi with a Muslim or a Hindu or whoever it might be, I'll often ask them questions about their family and their life and friends. And ultimately, the conversation will get to a point where I ask them the following question. Hey, do you mind if I ask you something incredibly personal? And inevitably, they've said, no, go for it. And I'll say to them, would you mind telling me who is Jesus to you? And from all of my Muslim sort of drivers that I've ever had, they'll go into a large talk about Jesus being a prophet and all this sort of stuff. And then inevitably when they finish, I'll just ask them simply, do you mind if I tell you who Jesus is to me? And again, there's been no sort of heavens opening and angels singing conversations happening. But in that moment, I've been able to try and identify a brick in that wall and just start a conversation into it. So for all of us, I hope listening today, that picture of the brick wall, I can't encourage you enough to really hold on to it because it fundamentally changed my view on evangelism. But if we get back to the message today on obedience, remember Paul, one of the most prolific writers of the New Testament, who many don't realize he has had the exact same exposure to Jesus as you and I. I mean, we often read the Bible thinking Paul must have... Um, had meals with Jesus, learned from Jesus, walked with Jesus. But the reality is he never met Jesus in the flesh. It's what I love about the New Testament. So much of it is written by a person who has had exactly the same exposure to Jesus as you and I. And whether that's 10 years after his walk on earth or 2000, it doesn't change a thing. Because there's a big difference between knowing Jesus and knowing of Jesus. 
when I read Paul's writing, I worry that I'm in the latter group because the way Paul speaks about Jesus is so vastly different to how I speak about Jesus. It's almost as though he knows a different version of Jesus. He's got a deeper relationship with Jesus than me. Let's have a quick look at Colossians 1, 15 to 20. Paul describing who Jesus is to him. Starting in verse 15, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Isn't it a beautiful passage of scripture? It's one of the things I love about the persecuted church. The reality that they truly know Jesus. Anytime I ask them, what do you love most about Jesus? I mean, time and time and time again, they will burst into tears, just picturing and imagining the beauty of Jesus. I remember one brother in Central Asia told me, we look at reading the Bible as our opportunity to walk hand in hand with God himself through the Garden of Eden. He says, Mike, in the West, you can often have seven or eight translations, but you never use them. He said, if reading the Bible was your opportunity to walk hand in hand with God himself through the Garden of Eden, why wouldn't you do everything you could to do it? Another brother from India said to me, well, every morning, I just wait for the Lord to tap me on the arm to wake me. He gives Jesus control over both his waking and his sleeping. As I spoke to him, I remember I said to him, well, brother, can you tell me, in Revelation it talks about being lukewarm, hot or cold. Well, what does a lukewarm Christian look like? And he says to me, I'm so sorry, brother, but I feel as though I am unworthy to answer. Because he says, I fear that it could be me. I remember thinking, this is a guy that wakes up at 3 a.m. in the morning, prays for three hours. He's leading a huge church movement. He risks his life every day. He bursts into tears when thinking about Jesus. And I'm thinking, man, if you think you're lukewarm, well, at least that makes me cold. They tell me that the simplicity of the gospel is actually being able to articulate who Jesus is and more than that, what he's done in your life. I sometimes wonder if one of the greatest suppressants to our understanding of Jesus or our thankfulness to him is actually the relatively stable economy and safety in our society and culture we've had growing up because it makes it so much more difficult looking back over our lives to see where the hand of Jesus has been. A great famous believer from China, Li Qin, said, persecution is the enemy's second best tactic. His best is materialism. Lee Chin said, picture this, the enemy has a barrel of a gun pressed towards your temple. He says, renounce Christ or I'll pull the trigger. Lee Chin says, well, nine times out of ten, in that moment, you'll find the courage not to deny Christ and the trigger will be pulled. But he says, now picture this, the enemy says, well, fine, you know what, you can have it all. He takes you to a warehouse, he says, here's a car, a big house, money, food, and more than that, there's Jesus on a throne and you can go to him any time you want. 
Li Chin says, well, it's not actually long before we get so focused in playing in the blessings of our lives that we don't even realize that Jesus Christ has left the building. And he says, and that is the problem with materialism. A brother in Iraq said to me, well, Mike, you're more in love with life than you are Jesus. And you know what? It makes you unwilling to die for him. This coming from a man who had had two veterinary clinics. I mean, this guy was rich, a kilometer of undeveloped land. More than that, as a way of evangelizing, and a decade earlier, he employed a Muslim business partner. When ISIS came and displaced him from Iraq, he got a call from his business partner telling him that, well, you know what? Everything you own is now mine. Under the law of ISIS, I take it all from you. And as I talked to this guy, he said to me, Looking back, I realized just a Sunday Christian. I paused thinking to myself, hang on, you're evangelizing people, you're employing people, you're serving the community, and you call yourself a Sunday Christian? I remember reflecting on his words that night about my unwillingness to die for Jesus. And I was thinking, you know what, he's right. I do love life. I love being alive. I love going out with friends and family. I love my job. I love technology and media. I mean, I love life in and of themselves, it's not a bad thing. But it's when I love them more than I love Jesus that they become dangerous. I've said it often before, but I've seen so many people survive persecution, but very few survive prosperity. I mean, which is of greater danger to your faith, ISIS or an iPhone? Because it's a subtlety of distraction that's suffocating our faith, whereas the pressure of persecution, it brings faith to life. We've stopped looking to the Savior in the sky because we're distracted by the so-called Savior in our hands. Just to be clear, I'm not saying persecution and wealth can't coexist. I think we often equate an authentic relationship with Jesus with poverty. But this is not the case. Persecution and wealth can coexist. What matters is can Jesus be seen or heard in your life? Serving God is not a matter of location, it's a matter of obedience. We need to stop measuring our proximity to God based off his provision of safety and realize it's always and only ever been in Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame. We're not promised safe passage, we're given a great commission, asked to be obedient and given an assurance of an eternal place in the kingdom of heaven. There is a cost to following Jesus. It's neither safe nor free. And as one member of our team in Ethiopia said, well, the only church, the only body of believers I know is the one of the Bible. It's persecuted. When we practice our faith to the extreme, persecution will come. There is only one sort of group of believers that springs up when faith is practiced to its fullest. And they're always persecuted. If we're not being persecuted, we shouldn't thank God for safety. We should question ourselves because we aren't living our faith to its fullest. Faith and persecution are inseparable until Christ returns or the world comes to know him. As we sort of begin to finish today and wrap up this talk on obedience, I want to leave you with a thought that I'm hoping you won't soon forget. It's from part of the world I love, Central Asia, and I remember standing outside a bustling cotton market in a region of the world that sees the rise in radical Islam kind of collide with the relentless pressure of communism. And as I spoke with a friend over there, a believer who's had an incredibly radical transformation in Christ, he said to me, Mike, what does it mean to be wise as a serpent? I remember I didn't have an adequate answer, so I chose to remain silent. He said, tell me, do you think the serpent could hear God? 
again, in agony and fear of getting it wrong, rendered me silent. He said, well, Mike, the serpent can hear God, but doesn't obey God. And with a warm and genuine tone, he paused and said, sounds a lot like you, right? The scriptures, they talk about the sheep and the shepherd. He said the sheep listen and obey his commands, knowing they are his most valuable possession. The scriptures, they also talk about the 99 and the one. My friend said, have you ever thought that you might be the one? Because I look at people in the West and you claim to know God, but when he asks you to do something, well, you don't listen. And to be honest, no, I've never thought that I'm on the one. But for the first time in my Christian walk, I realized I am the one. I'm a sheep, treasured and valued by the shepherd. I hear his voice, but unless what I'm asked is safe, comfortable and guaranteed to work, I rarely obey. I look back and see in those moments of obedience, I often mask my evangelism with kindness and generosity, but without mentioning Jesus. And in doing so, sell Jesus out for the hope of receiving a yes or to protect from the fear and embarrassment of a no. My friend from Central Asia tells me there may be nothing more cruel than to take Jesus out of your language because in that moment, all you're doing is paving the wide road to hell with good deeds and generosity. Whereas in Central Asia, despite what their obedience will cost them, I'm told that the simplicity of their gospel is being able to articulate who Jesus is and what he's done in your life, that their greatest reward is to one day see Jesus face to face because he is the most serious thing in their life. And more than that, in those moments of obedience, they have become used to water being their pavement. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, can you imagine being so used to obedience that stepping out of the boat and onto the water felt like solid ground? Unless there is a Jesus distinctive to our language, then we're no better than the serpent who hears the voice of God but doesn't obey it. We shouldn't be trying to avoid persecution. We should be running headlong into it, driven by a courageous obedience, knowing that wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution exists. The 99 and the 1. The question is, which one are you? But the thing is, don't ever forget, he left the 99 for the one. He left the 99 for the one. He left the 99 for me. And for that, I will be forever grateful. Thanks for listening to the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto, and James Kazina. We hope the life-changing stories and lessons from the persecuted church help you follow Jesus, no matter the cost. To find out more, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. I'm your producer, Bethany Ross, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast.